Welcome to Moving the Needle, casual conversations about ways, big and small, to impact student learning. Brought to you by the Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. I'm Erin Hager. Let's move the needle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Moving the Needle. I don't know about you, but until recently, I never thought about the course syllabus in anything other than a perfunctory way. A schedule of events, an outline of policies, some contact information, that's really about it. But as you'll hear in today's conversation, the syllabus can be so much more. It's an invitation, really. An invitation into a relationship with a faculty member, a course, even an entire discipline. And the way we word that invitation can have a profound impact on the way a student feels welcomed or not welcomed into those spaces. As you'll hear in this discussion, Rethinking our approach to the syllabus can open up an opportunity to question our entire approach to our teaching, and also the way we view our discipline and the constellation of all the other disciplines, just from rethinking a single document. Let me introduce you to today's guest. Dr. Cynthia Cravens is the inaugural director of the Center for Teaching Excellence at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. She joined the faculty of UMES in 2014 in the Department of English and Modern Languages. As an associate professor of English, she's taught writing, literature, and film courses for undergraduates and facilitated writing workshops for graduate students. In her work as director of the Center for Teaching Excellence, she develops programming to support faculty in the areas of course design and delivery, social justice and inclusive learning, writing for the public, and adding the humanities, the arts, and social sciences into what we traditionally think of as STEM. In this conversation, we're going to talk about an article written by Dr. Sharia Taylor called The Social Justice Syllabus Design Tool, A First Step in Doing Social Justice Pedagogy. We will have the full citation for this article on our website and in the show notes. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Well, Dr. Cravens, welcome. We are so happy to have you with us today. Can we start just by talking about the term inclusivity? What, what does that mean in higher education and why is it so important? Oh my gosh, that's such a huge topic. And I think right now inclusivity means, or people are more tuned in to what inclusivity means now than, than we have been in the past. So for different reasons and different populations, inclusivity certainly has a lot of different contexts. Um, I'm going to use the example of UMES as an HBCU, and when we are talking about inclusivity for uh, a specific kind of an institution, then we have to broaden what our initial reactions are or what our initial thoughts are about what it could mean. So for instance, at a PWI, um, inclusivity initiatives tend to focus on racial dynamics between faculty and students. And in a lot of DEI training programs that um, I've been involved with, I I helped launch a, a pilot program here through Lumen Learning, Um, There have been uh, other external consultants that we've talked to, and just what I've noticed, uh, and even in the literature, is that the DEI training focuses on uh, PWIs 
and specifically on white faculty members and uh, underrepresented students. So the dynamic. And and can I just clarify, PWI, is that primarily white institution? Is that what yes. that stands for? Okay. Yes, predominantly white institution. Yes. Or traditionally white. Okay. Um, so the focus is already on the, the assumption that the faculty member is from a, a privileged position and um, then they start working in uh, internal biases and recognitions of privilege. And I find that that approach just doesn't apply in an HBCU. And for two reasons. Number one, uh, we tend not to have that uh, differentiation um, quite, quite so strongly so that um, our faculty tends to um, match our uh, students. Um, but also we have faculty who come to us from PWI, and these might be a, a faculty of color who come from uh, different institutions where they have been the ones who uh, in the classroom were met with bias from the students. So the power dynamic shifts when we shift that uh, the faculty identity. So to get back to your original question about what does inclusivity mean in higher education, I think first we really have to broaden what our perception of inclusivity means. So for us at UMES, we're starting to look at inclusive measures for things like accommodations. Our students who are hearing impaired, who are speech impaired, um, sight impaired, these kinds of, of impairments that if their accommodations aren't um, attended to really prevent success. So especially on online courses, um, you know, we've all just had this huge pivot to, wow, what does it mean to be teaching online? And if we have videos that we're putting online and they don't have closed captioning, how is that going to affect the success of some of our students? Uh, same thing with um, PDFs. If they're not, um, uh, if they're not set up for the sight impaired, how is that going to affect their success? So we are starting an initiative where we are really looking into how our technology is inclusive. And that doesn't mean that we're not still dealing with different kinds of racial dynamics in the classroom. Certainly we are. But it's not just racial. You know, it's cultural. It's we have a lot of international students and, and those kinds of cultures, uh, cultural responsive, responsivity, if that's a word. Um, so the inclusivity is more about cultural responsiveness. Um, and that's so that's how we are trying to measure the effects that we're having on student success in terms of are we being inclusive in all these different ways? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for setting that stage for us. The The word that kept popping into my mind as as you were describing that is is really the idea of feeling welcome. Right. And obviously someone who has uh, an immediate barrier, like not being able to see the material. That's a that's a concrete example of of a way to not feel welcome. But could you talk a little bit about that? Like what in addition to those barriers, are there things that may not be as uh, severe or drastic, but can contribute to a student feeling welcome or unwelcome in a class? 
Oh, sure, sure. And this is was the, the topic of the, the workshop that we held most recently for our Winter Faculty Institute last month. And that's about how faculty, how we set the tone for the classroom. And is it what students would find welcoming? Um, and, and this is a very, it's a very simple concept, I think, but at whatever level of, of teaching, whatever, whatever year of teaching we're in, we find ourselves uh, identifying ourselves in a certain way. So for instance, when I first started out as, as, as an instructor, you know, I, I had just finished my PhD. I had just come from, you know, a very high research kind of uh, uh, institution. And there wasn't a lot of warmth between students and faculty. And so I carried that with me. And I tried to bring that to um, UMES, to this institution, uh, where we don't have that that kind of, um, well, I mean, it was a coldness. It was. And we all talked about it. Um, we all felt like we, but of course, we're graduate students. We weren't undergrads. But we definitely felt like, you know, we had to earn our way to to being considered, you know, worthy. It was weird. And so what else do we know except that? And we bring that to our own teaching. And um, it didn't work for me. And I, I quickly... I quickly had to just sort of reevaluate who do I want to be in this moment? And I wanted, I thought I wanted to be, you know, that um, gatekeeper. Um, I hesitate to use the word authoritative, but that's, you know, that's what it was. Um, if you don't turn your work in on at this point, you know, you're going to be penalized, you know, and, and as graduate students, when we're teaching graduate students even like we know that that's important in a professional world you don't get to to turn things in three times right but it's also a matter of changing the tone on our syllabus and if we can do things like something as simple as the course description instead of saying students will do this um, students can't do this we say we will look at these things and I, as the faculty, I will be there to guide you to success. You know, something that is a revision of a sentence can actually change the tone. And, you know, we've all talked about how, well, students don't read the syllabus. Sure, they don't, but it's not exactly a welcoming thing. We don't read user agreements either, you know. Um, we have no idea what those say. So if we want our students, if we'd like to make a syllabus that our students read, then it has to be readable and it has to be welcoming. And, you know, that's, that's, that is like the handshake between a course, a faculty member, and a student. It's that very first meeting. I, I often yes. think of teaching a lot at like hosting a party um, and and your approach to that, to, to being a host, you know, is do, do you know somebody? You don't know anybody here? Let me make an introduction. Are you feeling a little nervous because you've never seen this material before? Let me take your coat and put you at ease and show yeah. you where the snacks are and that kind of yeah. thing. So, yeah. so what are some techniques in syllabi? You mentioned a little bit just kind of maybe changing that point of view. Um, in the in the syllabus itself, using a lot of inclusive we 
language. We're all in this together. It's not us, me versus you as a student. Are there other are there other techniques um, that you can see in a syllabus that can that can reduce those barriers and make students feel more welcome? Yeah, yeah. And we, we've had a lot of conversations about the, the extent to which you can be inclusive and welcoming and still sort of have control of your classroom, because we know that the, the one thing that very quickly gets out of control is classroom management. And that's not about the content and it's not about the pedagogy. It's about who is present. How do I keep track of attendance? And these are the places where I know for myself, I wanted to be very, very firm because there's that feeling like if you just give a little bit, um, it's all just going to go into chaos. And it, and it really does depend on how many students you have and, and how lax you can be. So things like uh, several of our faculty members were talking about how they invite their students, um, particularly grad students, to help write the syllabus. So that it's not a contract that I'm presenting to you for you to sign, but it's, an, it's, um, it's not even a negotiation, right? It's a conversation. Just like everything else we do in our coursework, this is how we dialogue about what we are going to experience over the next 16 weeks or four weeks or eight weeks. It is, this is, you know, I as faculty, this is what I would like to accomplish and I've done it in this way. Can you give me some feedback about where you think there might be some conflict. And it, th this is easier said than done, of course, because in all sorts of disciplines, uh, you, you can't be you know, accommodating. If there are regulations, if there's accreditation, uh, there are things that absolutely cannot be um, negotiated. But a lot about how we move through the days that we spend together can be. And so that's where that kind of tweaking or that kind of maybe even just a relaxation can, can come in because the regulations are already there. You know that this is what you need to get an A, B, C, or D. And you know this is what you need in order to, to graduate. If you need to get no less than an 85% or no less than a 70%, okay, I will keep you aware of where your percentages are but you have to understand that this is how the attendance is going to affect that. This is how this is going to affect. So it comes up more organically, you know, as a, as a dialogue rather than a, a top-down sort of authoritarian measure. And again, easier said than done. Well, what I hear in that approach is recognizing that um, students may have different priorities and perspectives on things like their, you know, what their grade needs to be. If I'm auditing a class, or if I'm taking this as an elective because I am, I'm interested and I need some credits. But you know, this I don't see this as my career path. I think it's just sort of recognizing that there are, um, there are different mindsets and different uh, doors that bring students to us, and where we can be flexible thinking about that. Right. Absolutely. So at, at your Center for Teaching Excellence, you are working with faculty on a program um, to help them rethink their syllabus. So can you tell us a little bit about how you're structuring that, um, what the faculty are working on, how they're reacting to these ideas? 
Oh, yeah. Well, this all came about from the Winter Faculty Institute that we had January 22nd. We invited external speakers to talk to us about things that they had done in their universities to either bring it into the syllabus or the course design or to take students into um, communities or, or projects that were outside of the classroom. But the entire focus was on the pedagogy of social justice and critical race theory. So we're always already talking about these things exist. We're already talking about them. Now, how can we bring them into the classroom in really beneficial and effective ways? So one of the workshops that was um, very, very popular was based on an article that ha was just published uh, in 2019. I'm just going to read the title of this article, The Social Justice Syllabus Design Tool, A First Step in Doing Social Justice Pedagogy, and that emphasis is in the title. So that's very important for us as a starting point, how we can go from talking about it to doing it. And this, uh, the, the, the researcher who did this article, Dr. Sharia Taylor from San Francisco State University, we invited her to take us um, through what this article, what this research study was. And uh, her, her sort of, in a nutshell, was this inclusive language in the syllabus. And we had a really long conversation uh, all of us, and there were about 150 people um, in the, the Zoom call, uh, about these very sort of simple tweaks that really sort of have an effect on our identities as faculty members. Um, and, and as I said, that's sort of who we want to be as instructors and m moving the line from being the authoritative, you know, we use this, uh, this, um, this analogy all the time, um, the um, uh, what the sage on the stage, right? To the guide on the side, and 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 how we how we do that in in just small incremental ways. So the feedback from that session, and again, this was an hour and a half session, so the conversations were a lot more complex than I'm representing here. But the feedback from that was so positive that we're going to invite her back to do. Um, small group workshops where we're actually going to take our syllabi and we're going to start going through them in a workshop format where we're giving feedback, where we're, we're, we're revising and tweaking certain sentences. And as we're revising the sentences, we're rethinking how we are approaching the classroom dynamic. And and then, of course, it, it makes us vulnerable when we think about uh, uh, oh, I'm going to be, this means that I'm going to be more flexible and nurturing. And then, believe it or not, we get into those conversations about what nurturing means and the gendered notion of nurturing. And I know that I, as a woman, um, I'm both open to the idea of being more nurturing and also fearful of the idea that if I am nurturing and, and the students, you know, see that, then d is that going to take away a little bit of that authority that I've, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult when I hear my students call my male colleague doctor and they call me miss. 
even though we're we're on the same level, we're both associate professors, we're both in the same field, you know, we both teach the same classes. So it's it's like, well, I had to tame that internal sort of grinch that says, well, no, I better tell them to call me doctor. And then, of course, if I correct them and say, call me doctor, uh, then I sound, you know what the word is. So um, we're, we're always negotiating our identities and giving ourselves permission to feel vulnerable. And that's something that nobody teaches us that, you know, in teacher training school. So that's something that I think a lot of faculty have to come to on their own and it's a journey. And as long as, as we as faculty stay open to different ways of being, then we can find those ways in, in the notion of how we conduct our classes and what we say in our syllabus. So that was a very roundabout way of saying that all of these topics come up when we are talking with our colleagues about something as simple as changing a sentence on our syllabus and, and the effects that that has. Yes, that's what struck me so much as you were talking. You know, I've worked in centers for teaching and learning for about 20 years, and I remember you know, how the workshops and syllabus design used to be. I mean, really, it was a lot of, uh, you know, hi, faculty, this is what needs to be in a syllabus. Here's how you write a learning outcome. What's your attendance policy going to be? All of that kind of thing. Um, and it's like we were modeling the exact dynamic of being welcoming or unwelcoming that you're describing with your students. Mm -hmm. But what's so striking to me about the program you're describing now is how something as concrete as a syllabus can really become an invitation to rethink your your values, the dynamic you want in the classroom, your identity as an instructor, really all kinds of deeper thinking um, about your approach to education while also making sure that those nuts and bolts are being addressed. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is therapy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> right. And it's free. <laughs> You can you can call it professional development. You can call it therapy. It's all good. <laughs> right, right, right. It all comes from the same place. Oh my gosh, it's so it's just it's so interesting. Now this is just getting off the ground. Um, so your faculty are in the process of doing this important work right now. But what would you say success would look like? You know, if, if we came back and spoke in a year or two, um, how would you how would you describe the success of this program? Well, I am starting to think of success in, in much different terms than data. So already we have an offshoot of these workshops where we have a faculty working group that wants to take this idea and they, they want to create interdisciplinary courses. So we have some momentum for taking this idea of a welcoming syllabus and turning it into a welcoming curriculum so that for instance we're thinking about um, in terms of taking our stem courses and our humanities and intentionally bringing them together either in a single course or in co-requisites or something it, we have to work out the logistics of course but we like the idea of environmental humanities so we're bringing the best of our environmental sciences courses and the best of hey, environmental literature or something like um, a, a course in, in uh, uh, environmental disasters on film 
you know, whether that's, you know, Titanic, um, uh, documentaries or feature films, like whatever it is, like taking these things that have common themes or common motifs and creating a framework from this idea of inclusivity. So my idea of success from this is the different offshoots that come when faculty are starting to talk about similar things and 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 finding common ground that goes beyond discipline and starts from this core of yeah we we want to transform something here and if we can transform the sentences on our syllabus then we can certainly transform the way that we are bringing academic programs to students, you know, on a macro level. This is so thrilling. In fact, (laughs) I think we should talk again in a year about how that offshoot (laughs) has developed, um, because I'm I'm just so excited hearing it. And it, to me, on the surface, you could say, well, how, how did that come to be from the syllabus? But from our discussion already, it seems as though the work on the syllabus reevaluating the syllabus is about questioning those boundaries between the faculty member and the student or between the, you know, the rigidity of the content versus, you know, maybe increasing some flexibility based on student needs. So it seems to make perfect sense that an offshoot of this would be, let's just continue questioning these boundaries. It's so exciting. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It and, and like I said, it starts with something that's so simple that you wouldn't think would raise so many, you know, kinds of <laughs> fruits. <laughs> but but it but it really does. It and, yeah. and as you said, it it or maybe it lowers our, our not inhibitions, but it, it, it lowers the the walls that we have automatically put up, the rigidity that you were talking about. And it's like, well, yeah, this this is all possible. So as you know, Dr. Craven's university ecosystem is so complex and there are all these networks of relationships that students have. They have friends, they have roommates, uh, advisors and tutors. Um, what is it specifically about the faculty relationship uh, that's so crucial to a student's sense of belonging. Oh, yeah, we, we we talk about this all the time, especially with issues like retention. Um, and we as an institution at, at UMES, we are really, really focused on how we can, well, everybody's always focused on how you can improve your retention rates. Um, but what what does that mean? Like, what are the the points of contact where students have the most kind of um, or or where people have the most impact on students? I can say it that way. And uh, we were just I was just talking to our, our dean of pharmacy the other day, and uh, even when we talk about graduate students, when we're talking about health professions, we're we're looking at the ways that. And this really, it touches on inclusivity, but it goes beyond that because the faculty-student relationship, and we all know this, we all intuit this, but it's almost immeasurable. But when it's not there, it's hugely impactful. So it's, it's sort of like, well, we know it when we see it. But what are the ways that, you know, we can focus on it before it becomes 
the you know the suddenly our students are are disappearing and we can't get the feedback from them so we don't know why they left and and creating that well you know it's a mentorship so that when faculty see students often in more than one class when students start to get into their majors or if they're graduate students and you're seeing them multiple times over the course of several years. It really is that sense of mentorship that I think students can respond to, even if they don't know what it is they're responding to, so that it's, it is that inclusivity and it is that feeling of belonging that we're talking about that students may not even know that that word exists in academia or, or know what it means in academia. But having, knowing that you can talk to, uh, if it's your advisor, if it's the professor in this class, and, and you know, even when I was a, a, a faculty, well, I still am, but when I was teaching freshmen, in a freshman composition class, you know, I would have uh, freshmen from across disciplines, all in one room. And they, like, when, when we had our open discussions, so many different things came up from their experiences with other faculty, with other classes, that had nothing to do with whatever the topic was of the day, but they wanted to talk about the experiences they were having, and they didn't have a format or a forum in order to do that. And they weren't necessarily complaining. There was certainly that, but they they wanted a shared experience. And they wanted to say, hey, I, uh, um, this is what happens when you know we go to the, the math lab or whatever. And, and if there was something that they didn't know how to um, negotiate, then you know I could say, oh, as as adults we know how to ask for help. We know who to go to, and oh, I I need this done now. But as students, 17, 18, 19, they don't know that they can do that yet. Certainly, they weren't able to do that, you know, in high school. And I would I would venture to say graduate students as well are still sort of feeling that am I worthy kind of a thing. So there's that very real that imposter syndrome. Um, everybody has it, and it's I think it's it's a really really important factor for um, faculty to remember that they can actually. <laughs> I, I want to say they can be mentors without losing that sense of, you know, I am this, you know, entity. Um, we don't have to fall into our sort of parent role um, because I think that's a whole different thing. But we have to find a way that we can make that connection. Um, and, and if we don't think that nurturing kind of belongs in our discipline, and there are probably some that we, it has to be regulated, you know, you can't, can't slide by on this, but there are certainly ways that we can make those connections easier for students to find rather than, uh, you know, if they need help, they can go to counseling or something like that. So, yeah, I do believe that that, that connection between faculty and students is, I mean, I think it's far more impactful than really, yeah, than anything else. This is their careers, you know, We're, and we really are gatekeepers. I, I was struck in the article that, um, you know, that sort of prompted this whole um, 
dis- discussion in the whole program. One of the things this article talks about is in this this generation of college student, they may not be on campus in the way that we remember being on campus. So they they may be popping on campus to take a class or two and then leaving to go back to their their family or their job. Um, so a faculty interaction may be the primary source of contact and support that that students juggling all these responsibilities actually can can consistently rely on. Yeah, I think that's the, absolutely true. And uh, I was going to mention that uh, when we were talking about the syllabus and having that uh, conversation or that dialogue with students about uh, attendance or, or late papers, we don't know their situations and we don't need to feel pressured into thinking about every possible situation when we go into the classroom. We just need to allow the students to let us know what the situations are from the outset. So yeah, if students are have full-time jobs, you know, so many more students now have full-time jobs than, you know, 20 years ago. And so they are looking for ways that they can accommodate, you know, a very tricky and complex schedule with this this, you know, endeavor that they really want to succeed at. But how, how you know, where's the give and take for them? <clears throat> and again, when when we're, you know, adults and we have families and we are, we're already juggling all these different things and we kind of have a sense of how to do that. But when you're, you know, at that very young age, you know, 18 to 25, you're still figuring out how to do it and you kind of want to please everybody and you can't. So that's another part of that mentorship is how, how can we, you know, sort of say, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Um, Let me, let me know when you, when you can do this. And yeah, we are going to get taken advantage of once in a while, but I think more often than not, we'll be helping rather than being uh, taken advantage of. One last question before we sign off. I like to ask this of all of our guests. Uh, And the question is this, is there anything that you see in the world of teaching and learning that you think could really move the needle uh, in, in terms of student success? Oh my gosh, yes. And and uh, again, I'll, I'll return to the uh, interdisciplinary courses. It is such an innovative and approachable, and it's not easy in terms of the logistics, but faculty, I think, want to, to, to collaborate. And showing students how collaboration is done across disciplines will open so many doors for them as far as how their careers can be shaped by it, where they can move to. Like if if they're not sort of sure that they want to go into, say, engineering, it's like, well, there are other ways you can do the same skill set and just broaden, you know, everything into a, like a, just a, like a bigger mindset. You know, I, I don't think careers are as... Like siloed, um, not as siloed. Yeah, yeah, yeah not as they were, uh, especially now after COVID and we've done all of these Zoom things and technology is taking off and startups and, and everything. Like everything is so much more accessible and, and there's so much more collaboration that we can do across the, the world that um, sticking to, and, and I'm in English, so this is even more so true for humanities. Um, now, it's like we have these tools and we have the, the scholarship and the research and the interest and, 
And, oh, there's so much that we can do if we just pool our, 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 our different um, scholarships together. So I really think that there is starting more and more to be these initiatives, but it's really kind of untapped. And, and I know for, for certainly our university, we are looking at models that we can use to kind of make this an easy kind of transition. And of course, we have to start with a pilot and then maybe grow it small at first before we can scale it. But I think that that kind of curriculum transformation would, um, oh, would just have so much to offer higher education. It's so exciting. I think we've got our next interview topic uh, all <laughs> queued up. So stay tuned I for that it. invitation from us. Oh, my uh, but, gosh, I love it. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate uh, you and your work and are so grateful for your time today. Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Moving the Needle. Visit us at umaryland.edu slash FCTL to hear additional episodes, leave us feedback, or suggest future topics. We'd love to hear from you.